We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna. We've won the last season. I, I would challenge anything. I, I think we've won the offseason. LaShawn McCoy was involved in the altercation. A struggle ensued, and in moments, there was punching, kicking, and stomping. The Buffalo Bills select Shaq Lawson. Defensive end, Clemson. Shaq Lawson, their first-round draft pick, he's set to undergo shoulder surgery tomorrow. This is on a torn labor. The Buffalo Bills select Reggie Ragland, linebacker. Uh, Reggie Ragland is going to have surgery on a torn ACL. He's expected to miss the season. Running back Carlos Williams raised eyebrows by showing up for that three-day session overweight. Sammy Watkins, another injury setback for the Bills star receiver. It turns out, we found out today, he actually had surgery three weeks ago from Dr. Robert Anderson in Charlotte. I'm told he broke a small bone in his foot. Carlos Williams has been suspended by the NFL for four games for violating the NFL's substance abuse policy. Marcel Darius looks like he'll be suspended the first four games of the season for testing positive again for substances. Bill's rookie running back Jonathan Williams was arrested earlier this week and charged with driving while intoxicated. The Buffalo Bills announcing they have released running back Carlos Williams. The heat's turned up, so to speak. It's all about, you know, getting ready for Baltimore. And welcome, everybody, to the Rock Pile Report. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger, and that little montage there was some of the highlights of the Buffalo Bills offseason with clips generated from buffalobills.com and ESPN. I think I speak for everyone when I say that this whole preseason just couldn't have ended sooner. I mean, just watching any more or having to read about any more of this nonsense might have actually driven me to drink bleach. <laughs> But we are drinking Labatt Blue Light Royale all season long. Over here with Beer Watch. Beer Watch. So for those of you who aren't aware, Chris and I have decided to hold a little, well, Chris decided to hold a competition. I'm just going to show up and drink beer. I mean, it's not a competition. It, it's what I do best. Tell so, me tell me, your friends did not think of this at some point in, in your 20s. or like, hey, we, we, for an extended period of time, we should count how many beers that Drew Gear drinks. 
So what we're going to do is we're going to be keeping track on a week-to-week and on a season overview basis of exactly how many beers we drink. Because I realized last year it's, it's kind of a lot, borderline excessive. Well, last year we did the podcast from your apartment, and there we had a couple. We had like a couple of drinks. Like we didn't go hard. <laughs> so, I got rid of it. I got rid of that battle axe of a wife. I am ready to go <laughs> so, hard. So here on the Rock Pal Report, we're going to be tracking uh, the amount of beverages we enjoy while we record the podcast. It's kind of a uh, it's a measuring stick to see exactly how much we're actually accomplishing over here. Exactly. If you follow us on Twitter at Rockpile Report, uh, you look through our pictures. I took a picture of the whiteboard in my kitchen. I've got it broken down week by week. How many beers Drew drinks? How many that I drink? I've already put out the prediction this season that you will have 10 weeks where you drink more than 10 beers. Wow, that's a that's a bold prediction. Exactly. Well, let's see. Let's see what we can do to uh, let's see what we can do to make that happen for you. So we've got a lot of stuff to go over tonight, guys. I mean, we've got a ton with between the news, wrap up of the preseason, our overview of the fifty three man roster, and all the roster cuts that happen. And then obviously we have to we have to preview week one. So why don't we jump right into it with this week's Bills news update? In the biggest news of the week, the NFL announced today that right tackle Chantrell Henderson is facing a four-game suspension for a violation of the substance abuse policy. Now, according to some information that's out there from Ian Rappaport, it's due to the usage of marijuana. and from Medical. Medical marijuana. So from what I've heard from Mike Rodak of ESPN is that he's appealing it, you know, as that it was part of his treatment for Crohn's disease from which he missed most of last season and a large portion of this this year's off-season program. Analysts and pundits out there are pretty divided on these kind of issues. And given the amount of misinformation out there when it comes to th- anything involving marijuana, medical marijuana, and things of that nature, I decided to dig a little bit deeper in another edition of the Rockpile Report Investigates. Now, I've already heard and, you know, I've seen articles and I've heard on the radio today a number of media members point to Robert Mathis's suspension from a few years ago in which he reportedly took fertility drugs that he didn't realize would flag him in the substance abuse policy. And they're using that as the basis that Chantrell Henderson's suspension should stand. However, I think that these two cases are very, very different. Yeah, Robert Mathis, fertility, obviously trying to have a baby. And Chantrell Henderson is uh, fighting Crohn's disease. Okay, well, so I did, I did you know, I, as I do when I get curious about things, I just start digging into them. I, you know, you hit the old Google machine. According to MediaDaily.com and articles present on CNN, marijuana has proven to be a very effective tool in treating patients suffering from any sort of inflammatory bowel disease, which Crohn's disease falls under. And according to a number of other publications from, you know, ranging from UnitedPatientsGroup.com to NCBI.com, that's the National Center for Biotechnology Information, patients have used the drug to actually achieve remission or at least, you know, kind of, kind of uh, not remission, but to significantly alleviate their symptoms. So I took a look at some research that was done by the NCBI. This is the National Center for Biotechnology Information. 
They posted the data of some research they were doing back in 2003. The researchers took 21 patients who had Crohn's disease whose symptoms were not responding to standard steroid treatments or to standard surgery, both of which Chantrell Henderson underwent. So the patients were broken into two groups. There was a total of 21. There was a control group of 10 patients that smoked cannabis with the THC removed from it and 11 that smoked THC-enriched cannabis. The results were kind of surprising. Of the 10 people smoking non-THC marijuana, only four of those, this is now over an eight-month period, only four of those test subjects saw a significant decrease in their symptoms over the course of that eight-month period with just surgery and steroid use. Out of the 11, out of the group of 11, you know, people who were actually smoking marijuana with the THC present in it, 10 out of the 11 people saw a significant, and by significant, they're looking at, um, there's a measurement they use here, and I'm, I'm not going to try to say this word, but basically it's, you know, they, they, they're looking at it from anywhere of 30 to 40% reduction in inflammation, and also the, the symptoms that go along with that inflammation. Now, they saw a significant decrease with zero side effects. That's the, that's the big point. It, there's other drugs. I'm sure there's harsher chemicals and things like that that they could induce a patient to that could decrease the inflammation of one's bowels, but they noticed that THC could do it in a significant, you know, significant population of those test subjects with no side effects. Okay. And so, you know, Obviously, they, their conclusion was that more trials would need would be warranted before a definitive conclusion could be drawn. But the evidence highly suggests that THC can play an active role in the reduction and remission of inflammatory bowel diseases. I like all of this that you just went over because I now that I'm in my early 30s, I'm kind of starting to follow politics, and regardless or not, I don't think that. What other people, whatever, whatever you guys think, marijuana should be legal across the board. Chris doesn't even smoke pot. I don't even smoke pot. I tried it one time, and I tried it again in the form of a cookie, and that cookie was delicious. But weed should be legalized across the board. I, I, I just, I mean, and again, there's so much out there, and I think that that feeds into because everyone has their own opinion on it. Some people see it as just a drug, you know, it's, you know, some people see it as, you know, we look at alcohol, you know, we're sitting here drinking beer. Some people don't drink beer. They prefer to smoke pot. That is your prerogative. And I feel like, like, I don't know. I, I feel like to each his own. I mean, it, if you want to argue tit for tat, alcohol is way more destructive on the human body than pot is. Without question. Now, how about this? Uh, since we've been doing, you know, our podcast this off season, you over the course of the off season, you got a new job. Mm-hmm. And did, you get, did you get drug tested? I did. And my job, I work in a factory. I mean, I work on the executive end of it, but I work for a factory. And so this production facility drug tests regularly. And it's part of your employment that you cannot smoke pot. How about this? It's part of your employment agreement. Now, I understand what they're, you know, where that may come from. That may come from a place where they don't want anyone on the clock who may be under the influence when you're working in an atmosphere with tools and where you have to be alert at all times. Otherwise, it could put your own safety or other people's safety in jeopardy. I can absolutely see why that is a necessity. You can't be under the, you shouldn't be under the influence of anything when you're at work. 
I don't care who you are. I don't care what your job is. I don't care if you're the cashier at McDonald's. You shouldn't be stoned when you're on the job. And I, I just like I shouldn't be drunk when I'm out there trying to do my job or if I'm trying to do most things. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to. But the fact is, is I shouldn't be drinking really ever when it comes to trying to get anything done. Do you, but see, no, hang, 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 ah, I, I, Do you want me to shut let, your mic let, off? Listen. So... <laughs> Considering this and considering everything I just went over about the NCBI's findings, which I'm going to tweet out the link or if anyone out there is interested and you guys want to see their research, feel free to you know tweet at us at Rockpile Report on Twitter and I'd be more than happy to share that, share that link with you. But considering this information and knowing that you know, this is something that can significantly help a person, we're not talking about... I don't know. I just think this whole thing is a bad position for the NFL to take. You're suspending a player for using something on their banned substance list, but he's not doing it in an effort to get in better shape, you know, gain some competitive advantage, have more kids, or any other kind of pursuit of vanity. He's doing it to stabilize his own health because he's suffering from a painful and potentially life-altering illness. You're going to have the crowd of people out there who are going to say, rules are the rules. Okay. That would be Stephen A. Smith. What I will say is, yes, you're right. The rules are out there. But I can't agree with that in this case. Because I heard that as a kid. Those are the rules. You know, that's what my father used to tell me. Oh, those are the rules. Why do I have to go to bed? Because those are the rules. No, what you find as you grow up is that the rules are the rules because the person in charge made them that way. So those people or persons have the ability to change them. And the other thing you learn as you get older is that life isn't always fair. There's always exemptions. There's always loopholes for certain people in certain situations, depending on what it is. And it doesn't matter what, you know what I mean? It doesn't matter what background you come from. Everyone finds that to be true as you get older. I think is, I I firmly believe, okay, that more and more and more, researchers are getting into the benefits of cannabis and THC for medicinal purposes, okay? That's a fact of life. That's a fact. It's happening. You can't stop that. So with more and more doctors exploring these benefits, I can't, I can't agree with the NFL's insistence on you know, planting their feet in the ground and saying that we're not going to grow with the times. You have to because this is the way modern medicine is trending. So what that says is that you're going to put your players at a significant disadvantage when it comes to trying to, trying to remedy themselves in the medical realm. You know what I mean? You've got a guy who's suffering from a very painful and serious illness, and he found something that may help. You know, if this is true, and if it is marijuana, and it had something to do with his treatments for the Crohn's disease that allowed him to even get back out here and have the shot at playing, I think that the NFL would be stupid to try to shoot that down. They have no choice but to get on board with this because that's the way modern medicine is going. You're going to set a precedent that says, hey, we know that this is probably good for you as a person, but we don't want you to do it because you're our employee. That's stupid. See, what I was getting at earlier, Drew and I work in the same field of manufacturing. Drew works more on the executive in the office end of things at your job, correct? Correct. All right. Now, I, what I do is I mean, this is what I do. Drew and I right now, we're having, we're talking Bill's football, drinking beers. I work for a company that when we manufacture testing equipment for the brewery industry and other carbonated drinks, I am on the floor. I'm the only person in our shop that operates CNC machining. We don't drug test. 
See, and so that right there, you could, your bosses could drug test, but they choose not to. Because they're progressive. Well, and so that's the thing is more and more people, I feel like uh, more and more organizations, and you're right, it can't work all of the time. You're right. You can't just come in with a broad brush and say, hey, everyone should be allowed to smoke pot all of the time, regardless of what your responsibilities in life are. But there are certain instances that I think, and, and some of you out there might just say that, hey, he's just saying this because it's a Bills football player. I would say that this is good for just people, people anywhere. In my in my organization, my organization drug tests. They have a stringent drug testing policy. It takes place very frequently. I feel like if I were to develop Crohn's disease, okay, if I were to develop this Crohn's disease, my doctor were to tell me that we believe that cannabis use could help you get over your symptoms. I feel like if I were to go to my company and tell them, listen, I can't pass your drug. You love what I do for you. That's why you pay me what you pay me and that's why you keep me here. But at the same time, I can't continue to function in a normal human capacity unless I take this, you know, unless I take this regimen of treatment that's going to put me at odds with your policy. Yeah. It's on them to decide whether or not they whether or not they just Okay, well, these, this is our policy and we're going to stick to it. Or we appreciate your contributions and we see that there is a window here in which something that steps outside of that policy might actually be worth, you know, it might be worth at least looking into to seeing if we can give some leeway one way or the other. I just think that for the NFL, as big as it is and for as much as it's in the media and as much, you know, this, this problem isn't going to go away. This is going to be something that's going to become more and more prevalent as doctors start to investigate cannabis and THC as medicine. You know who would be good for a discussion on this? One of our followers, Dr. Sean Tsaraki out of Dallas. Yeah, Sean, if you're out there listening, I'd, I'd love to pick your brain about it. So we're going to move on here. In the only other notable news of the week, the Bills announced on Tuesday the signing of wide receiver Brandon Tate. Wait, did you mean to say Greg Little? <laughs> no, I, I'm pissed about that. Tate was once a standout special teams player and wide once. receiver for the New England Patriots. But he was recently released from the Bengals after five years on the roster. Now, in an article about him on CincyJungle.com, which is the Cincinnati Bengals' SB Nation affiliate, writer Rebecca Toback writes that, while not terrible, Tate's numbers last season were mediocre at best. Okay, he had a, his, his kick return average was 22.9 yards. His punt return average was 6.3 yards. And this offseason, he got beaten out for his kick return job by a recently drafted rookie. I mean, it just seems to be the natural progression of things. You're a veteran player. You understand the game, but you're not as fast as you used to be. You're not as explosive as you used to be. So someone new comes in and takes your job. It seems like the majority of his impact has been made on special teams and not as a wide receiver. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of an impact that move has on our current roster and how we game plan with him as a part of our 53-man lineup. So moving on from the news, <laughs> I ha I'm obligated, according to my producer here, to recap the fourth and final preseason game, Buffalo versus Detroit. So bear with me while we uh, kind of slog through this mess. First off, as we always do, we're going to break it out into the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good... Now, I could sit here and I could try to find some kind of silver lining for you all out of this game. Maybe, you know, some point about O'Leary and Gronkowski flashing a little bit or how our pressure scheme looks like it could work even without premier talent at the outside linebacker position. I'll be honest. The only positive thing about that game 
that I can think of is that it's over. And that I watched a DVR'd version of it. So at least I can say I didn't have to watch that disaster in real time with commercials. I watched maybe the first quarter and a half because I had to go to I had a, ho- a playoff roller hockey game in which to my the, our followers that follow us on Twitter, we have the centerpiece, the Buffalo River Cup that my team won uh, about a month ago. Uh, added to it with a uh, medallion from the uh, Western New York Roller Hockey League, and we had our semifinal matchup last Thursday night. We only had four skaters. How hang about on, that? Hang on, guys. Can we can, can we all take a second here and bow down? Because we're talking about real sports, and Chris is over here talking about what he does in his free time. Exactly, with a bunch of fat guys on roller skates. We're not fat guys at all. So that brings us to the bad from from last week's game. That's right. We can't have anyone freak out out there, okay? We've got to keep our composure. We've come too far. There's too much to lose. We've got to just keep our composure. I'll admit it was hard for me to keep my composure. I mean, one of the bad points of this entire game was that my DVR will forever be tainted with that trash fire having been recorded on it in the first place. This game is one I would use as evidence that the NFL preseason doesn't need all of these meaningless games, especially the fourth one that carries almost nothing in the way of real value to NFL teams. At that point, everyone's throwing their, you know, their scrub players out there and just trying to get out. I get it. People are saying, oh, well, it's good because it's the final game where guys who are on the bubble can make a case. I don't care. Okay, if you're on the bubble, you deserve to be there, and they should just play three, make your cuts, and let's get on with the season. Even three might be too many. I don't know. I, it just blows my mind. The fourth game every year is always a disaster, and this last week's game was was no exception. Also, the fact that we got shut out for our offense, who went for it multiple times on fourth down to not register a single point, shows how poorly our backup offensive line and skill position players are. I mean... Is the Lions, Lions quarterback Jake Rudock? Is he the next Kellen Moore? Now, not oh, not oh, not uh, uh, not only do I not get tested for weed at work, I work a four hour, uh, four day, ten hour shift week. So I didn't get to check into Howard Simon on Friday morning to hear people called in saying, "Oh, Jake, was it Jake Rudock? Mm-hmm. Ruddock? Who gives a who gives a rip? Because he's a nobody. If anybody called into Howard Simon claiming him to be the next well, great no, thing, well, because anybody who follows the Bills knows that that's what happens. In the past, Kellen Moore would come out in the last preseason game, look like an all star against the Bills backups, and then people would be like, "Well, we need to get that guy. We need to get that guy." Well, then he started a game against us for the Cowboys, and we saw how that went. It was terrible. So. Now, I, I, I mean, Jake Rudock looks like he's the next guy to step into that boat because he shredded our defense. I mean, I think we're just destined Can to allow re- every single Lions backup quarterback to look like an absolute stud at the end of the preseason. Can you rephrase that and say he shredded our second, third string? No. <laughs> and then... The last part of it, the, the last thing I can think of to fit under this umbrella of just bad stuff that I saw was the wishbone offense. It's like someone kicking you in the ribs when you've already fallen down. Not only do we have to watch our players rack up more injuries, but we also get to watch an offense that hasn't been effective in decades struggle to move the ball every time that they call the wishbone play. I was curious about that because I was like, I saw them, I saw like a quarterback in the backfield and like three other people, and I was like, 
Do we even have enough running backs <laughs> to do that? I don't know why Rex decided to subject every Bills fan out there to that, but if I see it during the regular season, I'll probably just claw my eyes out. And speaking of injuries, that brings us to the ugliest part of the game. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. More injuries! <laughs> just when you thought you were safe. Just when you thought you are like, okay, we just need to get out of this game. This is what I text you as soon as I walked out the door to play an Ironman. Uh, my team only had four skaters. Nine to four victory, five goals, two assists. You're welcome. I text you, Jarrell Worthy is injured. Chris, I, I want to reiterate, no one on the podcast gives a damn about your hockey team. Hey, don't talk about my fruit basket like that. So, more injuries. A scary moment. Jarrell Worthy goes down with you know what appeared to be an ankle injury at first after taking a blatant cheap shot by an offensive lineman. You know the guy go- goes head first into his ankles just to try to stop Worthy from making a tackle. What the hell is that? That's why I don't want anyone who matters out there on the field at all during that last preseason game because what you have is a bunch of players who aren't NFL caliber players. Playing with guys who you might need at some point. It's tough to do it's that. It's a recipe for disaster. It's tough to do that when you just cut your roster from 90 to 75. Yeah, it, Some it would, of those guys have to play. If anything, they shouldn't make you cut to 75. They should make you go with 90 so that if need be, you can just put a bunch of guys out there for the last game who aren't going to cost you a potential starter. I mean, I was terrified when I saw him go down. And then I heard it was a concussion, and then he was back on the sideline, and it was okay. But then the Bills went on to lose James Wilder Jr. to a concussion. Blake Annan to a neck injury, and Marquise Lucas to a leg injury that they had to cart him off the field for. It, it was just an absurd... The, the whole game, as a whole, was just an absurd end to an injury-plagued offseason, and all we can hope is that we've weathered this storm of injuries, and then we can start to play games that matter, you know, and just try to find a way to be somewhat healthy while we do it. Now, what did, you, had your, uh, you had fantasy drafts last night, because I kind of text you to... You should probably call into AFC East Bros and bow down. Well, you can point out to everybody that listens to both podcasts, you lost that bet, and uh, you're going to be Owen Gary. I just think it's funny that you choose to bring it up now other than instead of when we're actually talking about the roster. You've been all over the map tonight, Chris. Guys, if anyone out there th- feels the same, go ahead and tweet at us and tell Chris he sucks. Hey, I'm, Do that for me. I'm, Rock I'm, Report. Yeah, I'm three beers in. Oh, boy. For Beer Watch. So, after the game, obviously, you know, by Saturday afternoon, they had to start making the cuts. The NFL preseason finally over. (laughs) That means everybody has to trim the rosters down to 53 players that they think are going to go out each and every week and help them win. What you end up with over the course of the next, like, three or four days every year after that is just this fluid situation. I mean, look at the Justin Forsett situation. Everyone knows that that guy's their number one running back going into week one against Buffalo. He knows it. He said it today. But the team cut him a few days ago just to reduce his cap hit. But then they brought him right back. There's this weird four- or five-day period after every single, you know, every single final preseason game gets played. There's a period of like five or six days where players are shuffling all over the league and last-minute moves are being made and GMs are – I mean, GMs are basically out there trying to play like they're the guys from American Pickers. Okay, they're sorting through everybody else's trash to see if they can find something useful that they might need for their roster. And the Bills are no different. You know, I went to take a look over the cuts that were made, you know, and the 53-man rosters that stands today, and also where we might be still, I don't know, looking for some changes before we play our first game. 
I mean, first off, if we're talking about how we got to the 53-man roster, you got the IR, the PUP list, and the reserve list. So there's a whole slew of players that didn't even have to be cut because they got shoved onto one list or another. You got Shaq Lawson. He's on the PUP list, so that means we won't see him until at least week seven. But I think that's better than being placed in the IR. From all accounts, his recovery is going pretty well. And the staff is fairly confident that he's going to get to play again. I mean, that's pretty big considering who, what we have right now at outside linebacker. You know, I looked at that. You know, it's week six. What? San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's when we got Gary coming in. That's the game. I typically go to one, maybe two games a year, mm-hmm. and that was the one I was looking for is San Francisco because Gary's coming into town. And well, he so, can't play until week seven. Yeah, that's what sucks is I would have been it would have been so awesome to be able to be there for. Well, hopefully, his, as long as he continues progressing, he'll be back by week seven. That's all we can hope for. Then you've got Colby Lissenby. I mean. For a kid you drafted late in the draft, it's disappointing to see him end up on the NFI list. You know, he just couldn't get over. He had that offseason hip surgery, and then he had some complications with it and some inflammation that he just couldn't get over. And he got into some drills, some one-on-one work with the trainers near the end of training camp, but he never really was able to get out there and run anything with the offense. So I get putting him on NFI buys you some time in order to see what he has, and see if he can get back on pace. But I think the fact that he missed the whole offseason program, I think he's better suited to just go on the IR list. Just put him on there now. Yeah, and then... There's no reason for them to rush him back at any point this season. No, and then next season we can see him compete with Des Lewis, who was signed to the practice squad. Yeah. So then you got Chris Gregg, third-year tight end, having a solid preseason. And now he's out. And just the fact that we're left scrambling to try and figure out who on this roster or somewhere else in the NFL might be able to step in and fill his role shows you the type of impact. Like, he, they wanted him to step up and take that third wide receiver role. And by all accounts, he had. He was making plays. He looked good in special teams coverage. And then he loses his spot and gets bought out. I like how you were scratching your head as that, as you were saying, Chris Gregg, IR. And you're just scratching your head, and you're like, I have to look at baby hands for 17 weeks in a row. So then, and then to round out our list, we got Marcel Darius. Now, he's on the reserve suspended list. So his suspension matters because once he comes back, someone out there on the, who is currently on the 53-man roster is going to have to be released. Do you think that's going to be a linebacker? Because right now we're carrying eight. Well, and that's so there you go. That means that even though our roster is set for the next four weeks, our defensive tackles, defensive ends, linebackers, all of those guys are basically in competition right now to figure out who gets to keep their job when Darius comes back. It's on those players to prove that they're all valuable enough that the coaching staff chooses to look somewhere else on the roster to make a cut when Darius comes back. I think it's going to either be linebacker or safety, considering we got eight linebackers, six safeties on the team. I think it's going to be one of those people that gets that gets cut for Darius to come back. Now, out of all the cuts that got made, there were a couple of them that took me, I'll admit it, they took me by surprise. Greg Little. We talked about that last podcast. For a team that kept talking all offseason about they need a big physical wide receiver, big physical guy who's big, he can go out there and win his one-on-one, sometimes can win his two-on-one, which is size and strength. The fact that they cut Little, not even at the 90-man point, not even at the 53 cutdown, but at the 75-man cutdown, boggles me. 
He was the most targeted wide receiver to that point in the preseason, and he was second in receiving yards. And he has NFL experience. Yet they cut him and kept Des Lewis around. I think that the exclusion of Greg Little from this roster, even today, is a is an out and out mistake. I really think they they no matter how you cut it, I think they kept Tez Lewis because they put draft capital into him, whether you want to admit it's a seventh round pick. They put a little bit into him so they want to keep him around and keep him on the practice squad. And I think going in going into next year you're going to see a battle for a roster spot between Des Lewis and Colby Listenby. I don't know. I don't care. As far as I'm concerned, Des Lewis has earned nothing in the NFL. G- Greg Little has at least proven that someone out there might be in need of his services. I, and then when, when I heard we had signed a wide receiver, I went online as quickly as possible because I thought they were talking about Greg Little, and it was Brandon, uh, Brandon Tate. Uh, the whole situation just pisses me off. And then you've got Manny Lawson. His cut's another one that I just can't get my head around. I get it. He had this one-game suspension coming up, but he and he didn't, by all accounts, look great during that uh, during the Detroit game. No, but he's no. the only experienced starter we had at the outside linebacker position outside of Jerry Hughes. So cutting him doesn't make any sense, considering that we haven't made any significant upgrades at that position with him off the roster. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I, I don't get it. Hopefully they know something I don't because I'll tell you if these if these two picks we look back on them you know what four months from now and I say hey we could have used one of those guys I see no reason that they shouldn't be land based for that they being the general manager and the coaching staff wasn't I, correct me if I'm wrong but I believe the Bills were gonna were subject to some kind of fine based on the amount of suspensions that they had yeah but now it doesn't matter because of the Sean Joel Henderson thing. We're still not going to get away from it. But he appealed. But he appealed. He, right now, he's appealed. Well, in any event, it's. I, I don't think that's reason enough to cut a guy like Manny Lawson. Ugh. So that brings us to. I, I. You know, we're going to talk here for a few minutes about my synopsis of the fifty-three man roster. Okay. Now I've got kind of a breakdown, and I, I was looking over the depth chart, and I'll be honest with you. I, there's a, there's some positions where I think we are where we're you know we are who we were at the beginning of the offseason. No one else stepped forward. No one else did anything that shocked me. Everything is status quo. And then there's some positions out there where we desperately need to be taking a look at what's available out there to see if we can't bring some more depth to our roster. Okay. Now the first place I'm going to start is quarterback and running back. Okay, I'm kind of lumping them together because, again, as I said, those are two positions where what we had is what we have. You know, we started off with 90 guys, and we knew flat out the quarterback depth chart wasn't changing. Okay, and it hasn't. Tyrod Taylor is obviously our best option to win football games. EJ Manuel, he's well, he may not have the arm talent that Cardell Jones has. He's just a better backup option right now, as of today, than Cardell Jones can be. Running back. You know, the only significant change to their depth chart at running back, and you've got LaShawn McCoy, Reggie Bush, Mike Gillisley, Jonathan Williams. You, we cut Carlos Williams, which was surprising, but we brought in Reggie Bush. By all accounts, they're, they're going to look for LaShawn McCoy to be our bell cow back again. He's going to take a majority of the snaps. They feel high enough on Mike Gillisley that they think he can spell him. 
Reggie Bush is kind of there as a you know almost a fourth running back. Jonathan Williams is hoping, hopefully, our third back. And Bush is just there. They'll throw him. I'm sure they'll mix him in because he's going to play some special teams as a punt returner. He's going to you know he's going to catch some passes out of the backfield. I think that if they use him in a limited role, he'll be successful in that. But ultimately, I look at our running backs and I see it as just as much as much as strength as it was when we started training camp. Quick hit: somebody put this out. Buffalo Bills fanatics group on Facebook. I think it was, I think the number was twenty. Mm-hmm. Over under carries for McCoy go. I say under. No, I say under. I I think that what they do is they're going to find a way to get because they're going to use Gronkowski and they're going to use both of them in the passing game. They're going to use LaShawn McCoy. They're going to use Gronkowski. They're going to use Reggie Bush. They're going to get Jonathan Williams mixed in. They're going to get Gillies Lee involved. They're going to get these running backs on the field and churning their feet because it's going to keep LaShawn McCoy fresh. And that's exactly. what we need in order to be effective. That's what we saw last season, the rotated, a rotating usage of our running backs, and you can expect that again this year. Under 20 touches for Shady this week. So moving on, we're going to get to the offensive line. Lord, please bless us with a handful of weeks with no injuries across our offensive line. Because our lack of depth is terrifying. Do you want me to Skype my mother and she'll say a prayer? (laughs) Even with the pickup of Patrick Lewis, we don't have enough experience depth to sustain any losses at any of our offensive line positions. Especially now with the potential suspension of our backup right tackle. I mean, considering how important the running game is to the success of this offense, that doesn't bode well heading into the season. You know, there have been cuts across the league. And when you've got guys out there like Jeff Schwartz, formerly of the Giants, you know, a veteran, long-term veteran. John Sullivan, an interior lineman, long-term veteran. When he was productive, he was, you know, when he's healthy, he's productive. They could give you that veteran upside that you're going to need to anchor this line in the event that one of our starters goes down. I just think that Whaley's going to need to be on the phone every single day between now and Sunday trying to find a way to make this roster better. At the offensive line position. Well, we had the, the, the um, one guy, uh, Evans, Jahari Evans. He mm-hmm. signed with New Orleans today. Would, would you have wanted to take a run at him? No. You know what? He Too old? The thing is, he doesn't have the mobility. We, need, we have an edge rushing game where they do a lot of pin and pull and they try to get outside the ta- – you know, they use the tackles and the guards. There's a lot of pulling of the guards. And the problem with Jahari Evans is he just doesn't have it at this point in his career. He's not that mobile. So he can still be a, a quality contributor to an NFL offensive line, which is why the Saints brought him back. They didn't want, you know, they cut him for for salary cap purposes. They wanted to free up that cap space. They brought him back because they their offensive line has been really bad this offseason. I just don't think he has the mobility to do what Greg Roman wants to do, and I don't think I, I don't think that's why. I think they brought him in for that meeting, and then he was never a serious candidate to ever be on our roster after that. And then you're, to stick with this theme of you know positions that need to be upgraded, we get to the tight ends. Losing Chris Gregg was such a blow to our team's depth at this position. The fact that O'Leary is still here is a testament to that. Baby hands, O'Leary. I mean, it has nothing to do with O'Leary's value as a football player. No, it doesn't. But but unfortunately, I've been watching the wire, just seeing who's getting released and who's getting freed up. Nobody out there is putting out any quality options at tight end. So I think we're stuck with this. We're stuck with O'Leary as our third string tight end and just have to hope that he can grow into it. The one person that people immediately looked at, although got signed by the Titans, because obviously we gotta take the we gotta take Kyle Smith's trash 
Jay, people thought like, oh, Jason Morrow. Jason Morrow wouldn't have been a bad third tight end for this football team. He's got the size to be a good run blocker. He's not. He's limited in the passing game because he doesn't have a whole lot of speed. But he's a big body and he's got hands. I he would, has baby hands. I, would, I look at his draft measurables because somebody pointed out to us on Twitter. I looked up Jason Morrow's hand size, smaller than Nick O'Leary's. Chris, you seem to be really obsessed with guys' hand sizes. It's kind of creeping me out. I'm going to ask you to stay on that side of the table for the rest of the podcast. Don't move and keep your hands where I can see them. So moving on, outside linebacker. Another position just decimated by injuries and ineffectiveness. Outside of Jerry Hughes, we don't have any true... You know, we don't have any true talent, you know, I guess I don't want to say talent, but true impact players. You know, that's not to take anything away from Lorenzo Alexander. It's just This is why we kept eight linebackers. It's just that I don't see him making splash plays on a routine basis as much as you need if you're going to have a Rex Ryan-style defense. Bryson Albright, he's a nice piece. You know, he's a, he's a good story. UDFA who comes in, he impresses the coaching staff. They think he can build up his upper body strength enough, and he's got the base to be an NFL outside linebacker. Okay, great. That's what you think. But he hasn't done it yet. No. Alexander is a 33-year-old journeyman. Bryson Albright's a, a kid who's never proven anything at the NFL level. That's our depth at outside linebacker. You know when um – when Raglan went down, the uh, the guy that I used to work with with the hottest of hot takes, mm-hmm. he texted me and changed his prediction that the Bills would go from eight and eight to five and eleven, basically stating that Raglan's ACL injury cost them three wins from somebody that's never played it down in the NFL. Well, Raglan's an inside linebacker; he's not really an outside linebacker, so that wouldn't affect this part of the exactly. Position. That's why I said that he has the hottest of hot takes. I feel takes. like you bring him up every single week. Be- he just this is what this is the let me t- let me ex- okay. Let's not get sidetracked here because I don't give a shit about the guy you used to work with. No, I'll, I don't. I would just say this real quick about him. He is the type of person that you would want to you would you would fight him and beat the shit out of him, but it's not worth it based on how easy it is to kick his ass. I just. I don't know. I'll take your word for it. People all, say that about me, all, too. All I know is, is that Shaq Lawson needs to come back healthy and ready to contribute, or else we're going to struggle at the outside linebacker position. Now, inside linebacker, like you were saying, we have a lot of bodies. But I'll tell you, it's one of those positions that I'm comfortable with. I'm comfortable with it, even with the loss of Reggie Ragland, as you just mentioned. You've got Preston Brown. He's in his third year. Now, He's, you know, by all accounts, he had, a, he had a good preseason. He's really kind of taking control of the defense, and they're going to look to him to be that field general. He's going to be that guy who's making the calls, getting everyone adjusted, doing all the little things that you need to do well in a Rex Ryan defense in order to be successful. At the same time, they've paired him up with a very athletic linebacker in Zach Brown. Now, the two of them, I think, Zach Brown's a very good coverage linebacker because of his athleticism. I think that between the two of them, they can do enough well to get us by. You know what I mean? They're, you're not. Neither one of them is the reincarnation of Ray Lewis, but at the same time, you're not lost with them on the field. And at the same time, we also have some good depth behind them. Ramon Humbert's a guy that Rob Ryan was really comfortable with, and that's why he's here. You know, they brought him in because he says, "Okay, here's a guy who can be our special team slash depth linebacker." They traded for McCray. 
You know, Laurenti McRae came in here. They liked some of the flashy things he could do. They traded away what I believe will come out to be a seventh-round pick for him, which doesn't hurt us. And if he produces anything, great. It does nothing but good things for our team. And then at the same time, you've got Brandon Spikes. You know what Brandon Spikes is. He is the downhill thumper in the run game. Obvious running situations. He's going to come on the field and he's going to lay wood on people. I think we have enough at the linebacker position that while we don't have two guys who can do everything, we've got enough guys who can get us by. Yeah, but he's Spikes and going to offer us anything in passing. Well, no, and yeah, but, but that's why you have safeties and cornerbacks and things of that nature. Now, wide receiver. I mentioned it before. I'm shocked that Greg Little wasn't viewed as an upgrade over any of the players currently on the roster at this position. I mean, it pretty much looks the same. You've got Sammy Watkins, Robert Woods. Goodwin, Goodwin. three. Now the only change is you've got Greg, Greg Salas is still here. Powell's here. And Brandon Tate, who's going to mainly be a special teams contributor. I thought that's why they kept Powell. Yeah, well, Wasn't that Powell special teams? Well, that's the Why thing. you got to bring in Tate? So we kept all of these guys and put Des Lewis on the practice squad, and yet we still don't have that big physical receiver outside of Sammy Watkins anywhere on this roster. I just don't understand it, but they think that we're set, and I disagree. But, hey, what do I know? I'm just some jerk with a beer in my hand at a microphone, right? And that's a high-quality microphone. Hopefully... They know things that I don't. But I'm going to end all this on a high note. Defensive tackle. Okay, I think defensive tackle you know, is one of the deepest parts of our defensive depth chart. Worthy? Worthy was as good as I wanted him to be when he showed up here. I, I was excited about him as a player in college, and so when we got him, I was like, okay, hopefully he comes, because he has the ability to play at the NFL level. He just didn't find a system that would let him utilize his strengths. But it seems like he's done very well. well he, he flashed constantly in the preseason. Yeah, tackles, that's, why, that's why you got so scared last Thursday when he went down. Tackles for loss, disrupting running plays behind the line of scrimmage, rushing, you know, pushing the pocket and really getting in the passer's way. Those are the types of things that he does best, and this defense kind of brings that out in him. You know, Washington, even though he's a third-round rookie, he didn't stick out like a sore thumb. You know, while he didn't make as many flash plays as you would like, he didn't seem out of place, which is what you want with a kid in this part of his, you know, at this level of his development. And then you've got Corbin Bryant, who was good last season when we asked him to be there as a starter. You throw in Marcel Darius after week four and you toss Kyle Williams in there once he's healthy enough to play, this would give us a solid defensive line rotation. Exactly, and that's that's only going to help Adolphus Washington in his ability to grow as a defensive tackle. Absolutely. And then cornerbacks and safety. I don't know when the last time any Bills team could say this, but I firmly believe that our secondary is the strength of this defense right now. They're loaded. At cornerback, we've legitimately got four players who can play the boundary cornerback role. As well, as well, they can all shift over, play the slot if they have to. Roby, you've got Stephon Gilmore, arguably one of the top, we'll say, 15 cornerbacks in the NFL. I believe it was 10 on the Nuggets, uh, pro football focus, rated for off of last season. Everybody rates everything differently. I'll say he's arguably in the top 15. You've got Darby, who 
was should have, in my opinion, won the Defensive Rookie of the Year award. Marcus Peterson had a good season, but his numbers weren't what Darby's were. But they're a team that made the playoffs, and we didn't. I get it. So you've got Darby and Gilmore as your starters, both of whom seem like they're very, you know, they're they're high end talents at what they do. You've got a rookie in Kevon Seymour who's got the size to play Rex's press scheme very well. And at the same time, he's got the fluidity to run with with wide receivers and tight ends. He can play the slot. When he played the slot against the Giants, he didn't look lost. He can play the boundary because he's got the size to do it. He's He's a chess piece that you can move all over this defense. And then you've got Corey White. Corey White, experienced NFL football player. The fact is, is that any of these guys can start anywhere in that cornerback rotation and not appear to be lost. And then on the back end, barring any unforeseen setbacks with Aaron Williams, our safety group would look to be much deeper than it's been in years. That's literally by numbers because we kept six safeties. Well, yeah, but it's because they were all so good. The coaching staff's like, okay, we don't want to let any of them go yet. And you keep them because some of those guys – played their way onto special teams. Well, exactly. I mean, you've got Aaron Williams. He's our unquestioned starter as long as he's healthy. Corey Graham, he's a dependable player in the box. He's great in run support. He had, Pro Football Focus had him listed as one of the best tacklers at the safety position in all of the NFL last season. So he's good in run support. He's a good guy in the box. His pass coverage skills aren't what they used to be, but that's why you bring in Robert Blanton, former starter. Doesn't look out of place in coverage, can do it. He's the jack-of-all-trades not a high-end starter, but he's a, he's much better than Bakari Rambo. I think we can all agree that he's better than Rambo in coverage. So then you take a look at what else we have. I mean, I think the biggest surprise out of all of you know all of the players in our secondary have to be Jonathan Meeks and Duke Williams. They seem to have finally realized that potential, and it got them a spot on the roster. I mean, that's why they were both drafted. They were both seen as fast safeties who could hit and could make plays in the ball. During, during the preseason, they both flashed, whether it was special teams, whether it was Meeks laying wood on a linebacker coming out of the backfield, whether it was Duke Williams breaking up passes. The fact is, is it seems like they both grasped the defense, and it's going to be really interesting to see how they fare over the course of an entire season. I mean, it's entirely possible that when Marcel Darius comes back, one of the cuts that gets made is from this safety group. That's, so they're another group that's on high alert. Yeah, that's one of the things I mentioned earlier because – Two positions that rate highest amongst numbers. We have eight linebackers and six safeties. And somebody's got to go when Darius comes back. It's going to be one of those two position groups. Or maybe Brandon Tate. (laughs) Jesus, Brandon Tate. And so that's, I mean, that's that's it. That's our, I mean, that's kind of my synopsis of our roster. And that brings us to the official end of the preseason. Finally. So I guess the question. Finally. Preseason over. Let's get going with real football. So I guess the question is, where do we stand today? Uh, as a lot of you heard in our opening segment, a lot has gone on this offseason. I mean, that montage pretty much tried to touch on everything. It's the billsiest Bills offseason you could put together. So the question has to be asked, where are we today? Only a handful of days away from our first game of the season. Now, if you ask the team, unsurprisingly, they think we're heading in the right direction. In his Monday press conference this week, which was, you know, it's absolutely brimming with your just typical coach speak. It's almost not even worth listening to because there's nothing really of note in there. As somebody, as me that grabs all of this audio, like, 
I don't want it. I, and I know you don't want it either for our podcast. As I, when I listen to all these press conferences, I don't want this typical, you know, coach speak. I want Rex to say something interesting. Well, there was a few nuggets of interest. I mean, first off, Rex praised the inclusion of Ed Reed to the coaching staff. Our local uh, local media member, you know, from WGR 550, Sal Carpaccio, asked the question, you know, asked about Ed Reed and his impact in the upcoming game with the Ravens, you know, citing his, you know, and Rex spoke to that and praised him, citing his presence as a reason that they think they'll be successful this week against Baltimore. I think it'll be a big help. You see a lot of things, even from, you know, the coordinators change, but you see a lot of the, you know, the foundation is still uh, in place. So, a lot of those type of things, a lot of verticals, you know, they're going to throw, they take advantage of their quarterback. Um, they have some speed. So, uh, but yeah, I think that'll be, that'll is going to be a big help. That comes from buffalobills.com, as does all the audio we're about to play. But the fact is, is even that, still coach speak. You're just telling me something I already know. He also spoke to the ascension of Lorenzo Alexander on the Bills roster. Now, this was something that stuck out to me as interesting. You know, him traveling all the way from backup, you know, presumed special teamer to a starting outside linebacker position. You know, he, he might have been. Because uh, when you look at it, we knew what we were getting. I mean, we are getting a great special team player. We knew he's a good a good player on defense. But the more we played him, the better he did. And it was just, it's like, you know what? You know, you can ignore it if you want to, or you can, you know, you can play the guy that deserves it, and that's exactly what we're going to do. That audio, buffalobills.com. There you go, Lorenzo Alexander. He's the reason Manny Lawson's out of here. I, I find that hard to believe, that Manny Lawson got caught because Lorenzo Alexander looked good for a couple weeks against backups. I'll say, I think it's noteworthy because even though I'll be the first guy to tell you, I think releasing Manny Lawson was a mistake. It, it seems like Rex is going with his gut here and trying to show the rest of the team that nothing's going to be given to you. You know, as a player on his team, you you know the guys who earn their opportunities are going to get them. You know, with the I feel the same way about the inclusion of Bryson Albright. I think he's trying to show guys that if you continue to work, you'll get what you, you know. You know, we'll get to where we need to go, and you'll get your opportunities if you continue to fight and work hard. Now, here, this is I just thought of this. Manny Lawson was here when Schwartz was here, correct? Right? Yes. 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 Okay. So you look at the draft that we just had. We just Shaq, Reggie, Adolphus. We just draft three first three picks, all defense, that are supposed to aid Rex's style of defense. Do you think it, that Manny did not fit into what Rex wanted to do and could get better production from Alexander? I think it had more to do with the cap money than anything else. That's what I think. And I... I don't know. We'll we'll see if it bears fruit. And then to kind of wrap things up, Kyle Williams went into detail in a meeting with the uh, with the media on his feelings that the defense is going to rebound from last year's I would say mediocre performance. I think we're going to be better. I don't think there's any doubt about it. I, I think uh, um, the nuance of this defense is so so particular. I mean, there's so many things that you have to get right, that you have to communicate. I feel like guys have taken their mastery of it to a different level. I think the communication is good. Um, 
I think that guys are happy with um, their roles and what they're doing and what they're asked to do. And, you know, we really talked about at the end of the year, like, hey, listen, no matter what happens here, you know, towards the end of the year, you know, I'm sitting up there with crutches, you know, trying to talk to guys about it. Like, when we come back and when we get going, it really does have to be, you know, kind of an all-for-one, one-for-all type of deal. You know, we have to be willing, you know, willing to uh, live and die by what we do. And if we don't fully commit to it, we're going to die and we're not going to win. So I think that aspect of it has been really good and you know that's a reason for optimism and excitement you know from in here kyle williams buffalo bills.com i don't want to see another houston touchdown from last season this season when he's talking about communication i gotta see that because that one touchdown against houston we've talked about it on the podcast before that's a total communication breakdown i don't want to see that this year well it by all accounts it sounds like they think that they've turned a page on it i but at the end of the day the time for talk is over. We've listened to weeks and weeks of rhetoric as this preseason has gone on. And it, it gets to be mind-numbing. But it's finally here. It is finally here. It's about to be on. Oh, we're getting into week one of the NFL season, ladies and gentlemen. Finally. And that brings us to our preview of the Bills-Ravens game this weekend. It's finally here. Cheers. Cheers. Beer watch. Beer Watch. So this Sunday, the Buffalo Bills are going to kick off the 2016 NFL season on the road against the Baltimore Ravens. These are two teams with a whole lot of ties to each other. I mean, Rex was their longtime defensive coordinator. Ed Reed spent the majority of his Hall of Fame career as a Raven. And Tyrod Taylor played with a lot of the guys still on the roster. Similarly, the two teams, you know, in the past they've employed a lot of the same things. A power running game. Vertical passing scheme on offense, you know, tough physical three-four defenses. That's what that's what both teams are trying to be, and it's what everyone's what they're both trying to bring to the table. They just go about it in a little bit different ways. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this matchup plays out. Now to kick things off, we're going to get into the injury report. Now there's not a whole lot out there really because I mean they're they're not they're not mandated to give out information until I believe it is Thursday afternoon. Correct. Something like that. That's you know what. Going back to to our beginning, since today is our birthday, when we were discussing days to record our podcast, I wanted to go midweek for this reason that we could give out injury information. Well, so from what I know, as of right now, as of this recording, on the Ravens side, Elvis Doomerville is out with a foot injury. He's a, he's already gone on Pro Football Talk and admitted that he will not be playing. Gerard Powers cornerback. He's limited with an ankle injury. He, he didn't really practice in fall. And then you've got Ken Dixon, rookie running back. He's out with a knee injury. On the Bills side, things look a little bit better. You know, we don't have any potential starters. It's Colt Anderson, you know, C, special teams ace. He didn't participate all week with a foot injury. It'll, you know, that's going to bear watching. And then you've got Kevon Seymour. He pulled his hamstring. I believe it was during the Redskins game. And he just didn't return. He didn't play last week at Detroit. If it's a, if it really is a hamstring injury, by all accounts, I, I would want them to be cautious because he's a guy who, because he's so important to our depth, I don't want him rushing out there and re-injuring it. I want to take a look at the Ravens. You know, who are they as a team? Now, obviously, we remember who they used to be. But last year, they brought in offensive coordinator Mark Tressman. Now, for as much as he talks about wanting to be a quote-unquote power-running offense, 
they've changed their dynamic a lot. And I think last year you saw some of that. I mean, under offensive coordinator Mark Tressman, the Ravens, they just became more of a passing offense. Our friend Eric Turner over at CoverOne.net, for any of you interested in analytics, check out his website because I I tell you, he does a weekly write-up on our opponents, their defensive and offensive tendencies. This stuff is great. So I was reading his article this week, and he put out there that the Ravens, you know, in 2015, the Ravens passed. You know, you talk about a coach who talks about we want to be a quote-unquote power-running team. The Ravens passed on first down rather than running 59% of the time. That was the third highest percentage in football. And even when they have a lead, they still pass 56% of the time on first down, which is the fourth highest in football. How are you not going to throw the football when you have the arm that Joe Flacco has? He's not Uncle Rico, okay? He's not throwing footballs over mountains. I just... You know, I question that tactic because with, I mean, you got to think about it. Without any premier talent at wide receiver, you're the Ravens. Steve Smith and Brashad Perryman are supposed to be your number one and number two. Steve Smith's coming off a, just a bad Achilles tear. Brashad Perryman hasn't played an NFL down since being drafted in the first round last year. Not this past draft, but the year before last. He has yet to take an NFL snap. So, you know, I, I don't know how to gauge how effective they're actually going to be this weekend. Well, you've talked, you, you've said a couple of times, power run game. I don't, and you know way more about football than I do. I don't put Justin Forsett in my head to be the the bell cow, if you will, of a power running attack. Okay, but that's but he's proven to be effective when used on a. I don't know. I don't want to say you got to limit his snaps, but I think he can still be effective. The thing is, considering this newfound, you know, desire to pass the ball, I think the Ravens are going to, you know, they're most likely to try to attack Buffalo's defense using running backs out of the backfield and tight ends in space against their linebackers. You know, I mean, I think that if you take a look at what we have in our secondary, considering how much they pass, are you going to try to throw knowing that you're limited on wide receiver talent? I mean, you've got Mike Wallace as a deep threat and, You've got some other guys out, Kamar Aiken. You've got some guys who have done some okay things in the league, but are you going to try to beat us with wide receiver strength against our cornerbacks? Because no, I bet that's you the strength you, of our defense. That's the, you're throwing right into the teeth of our defense. So any any offensive coordinator worth his salt is going to turn around and say, "Okay, I want to try to test these linebackers. They have the system to do it." It's almost like how the New England Patriots operate. They're going to take a lot of shots using the tight ends and the running backs to try to expose mismatches with the outside linebackers and inside linebackers. You know, hopefully we can get safety help, but that's going to pull help away from the outside, which likens the. You know, it makes it more likely that they're going to try to hit us for a deep pass every now and again because that's the vertical passing offense. You know, I think that you know with the deep curls, posts, and flag routes that their wide receivers are going to be running. These underneath routes are going to be open, and it's going to be on our linebackers to shut those down. That's that's you know who they are on offense, and that's how they're going to attack our our defense. And speaking of defense, the Ravens for years have been known as a strong defensive unit. You know, right up until about two years ago. The problem with their defense is that it got old. Guys started getting injured. Ray Lewis retired. You know, they won that last Super Bowl, and then their defense kind of started to fall off. I mean, they made it to that playoff game against the Patriots, but their defense, their secondary, just got destroyed in that game. 
And then that trend continued, except they, they had so many injuries, you know, with Terrell Suggs going down and Elvis Doomerville going down, that they couldn't sustain anything against the running game. And then eventually, by the end of the season, their defense was more or less a punching bag. So on defense, they're interesting. Because now they're coming in, it's a new season, some fresh faces, some old, coming off of injury. They've got aging but talented defensive ends, Elvis Doomerville and Terrell Suggs. But they're both coming off injuries, and as I said before, Elvis Doomerville isn't playing. He's already been ruled out, which makes them a little bit easier to scheme for from a pass rush department. They've got great inside linebackers. You know, C.J. Mosley, I watched him play for you know a couple years at Alabama, and then when they drafted him in the first round, he's been very good for them. He's just... He, he can do everything. He's a three-down linebacker. He plays the run. He plays the pass. They've lined him up with another good pass coverage linebacker with Zach Orr. Okay, the kid, he, he's not the best in run support, but it's kind of like our running back tandem, our, our linebacker tandem, except they have more upside. You know, one guy can cover the pass really well. One guy does it okay. But then C.J. Mosley can do the run and the pass better than either one of our guys. And then they took a draft pick in, uh, Cam- I'm going to butcher his name, Camelli Carrera, I guess, who I, he, they drafted him as a backup linebacker, and I guess he's looked good as a backup. You know, they're going to, I wonder if they're, I don't know if we're going to see a rotation there, but I think it's going to be hard for our offense to attack that group in the run of the pass. You know, yep. their speed gives them, we, we talked about it earlier. We, the Bills utilize a pin-and-pull rushing attack. We, we like to run off the edges, off guard, off tackle. That's where we do most of our damage. You know, I didn't they have the speed at the inside linebacker position to string those plays out to the sideline. And so that's gonna be, it's going to be interesting to see how Greg Roman schemes to attack those two players because that would seem to be the strength of their defense. Now, I didn't get to, I didn't get to watch all of it, but as uh, you mentioned before, Eric Turner... Cover1.net. If you, you said it slowly like you think everyone's retarded. I am retarded. I'm saying Cover1.net. If you are as average of a fan as I am, because I don't under, I don't A gap, B gap, C gap, whatever gap, I don't, under, I don't get that, all that jargon. He put something out on Twitter or Facebook about utilizing the draw play. And that in 2013, against the Ravens, Buffalo racked up 206 rushing yards, utilizing the draw play. The fact is, is if you go to Cover1.net, what you're going to see, and I know you guys are going to think we're getting paid to plug this stuff, but no, he just, this is a guy that we know who does a phenomenal job breaking down plays for the average fan, who doesn't understand X's nose, who wants to, like Chris, who wants to learn what makes a play tick? You know, what what do offensive coordinators see when they look at the football field and why is it so much different from what you see? He breaks it down and makes it understandable. I urge you all to go there and just check out his preview of the offensive defense. I'm watching his videos because I am now separated from my wife and I have a lot of time on my hands and I gotta get to know football if we're gonna continue to do this podcast and do it well. I like that he's getting drunk and he's only got four beers in him. I'm, I'm moving on to number five. I'm just trying to I got to catch up. So, so that brings us. So, you know, inside linebacker, we're not going to, they're not going to be susceptible to being beaten by our tight ends in the passing game. There are running backs. I mean, I feel like they have the athleticism at that position to make it tough on us if we choose to. That's the teeth of their defense. So, us going at them in that manner wouldn't seem to be effective. But 
Their secondary, in my opinion, is their team's Achilles heel. Former first-round draft pick Jimmy Smith. Okay, he, That's where it starts with their secondary. He's been up and down throughout his career. He's had injuries. He's missed a lot of time. Then you've got Ladarius Webb. He's he, he was a very effective corner at the beginning of his career, but now he, he's older and he's lo- he just seems like he's lost his step in his coverage abilities. And he brings along health concerns of his own. They signed free agent Sharice Wright in the beginning of the offseason, thinking he would step in and be a day one starter. But he's been a massive disappointment in the preseason, according to a number of different Ravens news outlets. And veteran Gerard Powers, while not a total liability, isn't he and he never was a high ceiling talent, you know, at this point in his career. He was never going to be. So they signed him to be a backup. And at this point, he might be the second or third most talented guy in that secondary, which doesn't bode well for them. I mean, this is a team that allowed an NFL-worst 30 touchdown passes last season. And a lot of it had to do with injury. I mean, by week 14, they were bringing in guys off the street to come play. Kind of how our linebacking situation got last year. That's what happened to them at the cornerback position. They were bringing in guys who had never played a snap for them before and sticking them out there as starters because they didn't have a choice. And of one position on defense, you can never have enough cornerbacks. Yeah, and this is a team that has very few, and none with a really high ceiling. I mean, when Jimmy Smith is on, he can be on. When the Darius Webb is on, he can be on. But it's it's happened less and less over the last few years. So I'm not I'm not exactly afraid of their cornerbacks, and they have a, a very good coverage safety in Eric Weddle. Okay, Eric Weddle left the San Diego Chargers on bad terms, came to the Ravens. I think he'll be a productive player for them as a safety, but outside of him, they don't have anybody else. There's no playmakers at the safety position for them. Now, I I just don't see them as having improved any of these positions enough throughout the preseason that they won't be a liability. And I think that that's where we're going to get after them. Okay, so that brings us to our keys to victory. The keys to a Buffalo Bills victory on Sunday. On defense... You're talking about defensive pressure. Joe Flacco is coming off an ACL tear. He is admittedly not 100%. It is going to be vital for the Buffalo Bills to find a way to generate pressure in order to impact Flacco and his timing with his wide receivers. We cannot give him time to stand in the pocket and find a Mike Wallace open, you know, 30 yards downfield. That can't happen. Okay. They're likely going to rely on play action a lot in order to help him buy time, and that's a tendency that our defensive coordinators have to be prepared for. The defense has to be ready to just read and react quickly to that play action because they're going to do it in order to freeze our blitzing linebackers because they know that that's what a thing Rex likes to do. He likes to bring that A-gap pressure. Now, I mean, you're talking about uh, Joe Flacco here. Joe Flacco's the guy who came into Buffalo and threw five interceptions. But it's because we shut down the running game and we made him beat us. I think we can do that again here if we focus. Focus our intent on stopping the running game and letting our cornerbacks just man up and press cover the receivers. Make Joe Flacco himself make the plays and get after him. Well, I don't think that they're that talented at running back. Well, no. I don't don't think Forsett is... Is he's like a, he's a he's a bottom ten number one running back in the NFL. I mean, you say what you want, but the way I look at it is this: 
The Baltimore Ravens are very well could I mean they very well could be starting a rookie tandem at guard and left tackle. As I mentioned in our Facebook Live on Saturday, mm-hmm. which you were not a part of, because mm-hmm. you were doing you were at somebody's birthday party. My girlfriend's father's sixtieth birthday party. Oh yeah, whatever. It's somebody's dumb birthday. I had mentioned this. This is the first time since nineteen ninety five the Carolina Panthers starting two rookies on the Did left you side. Did you say Carolina Panthers? Carolina Panthers. The Baltimore Ravens. No, this is the first time since the Carolina Panthers in 1995. Mm. How many years is that? You've lost me. I don't even know what the hell you're talking 20, about. It's been 21 years since a team has started rookies at left tackle and left guard for week one. And this is where we take advantage of Baltimore. Well, they, they're going to have to. They have to because that's going to be where we get the, our pressure. What, when, when, just when you listen to any sports talk radio station and they have rookies on, what, what, what is what is the number one thing that all rookies say that come into the league? Well, the speed is a lot different. Now you have Ronnie Stanley at left tackle going up against Jerry Hughes, who is one of the fastest line, uh, linebackers in the NFL. I think I think Jerry Hughes is going to have a field day against Ronnie Stanley on the left side. He's going to need to because Lorenzo Alexander isn't going to get it done by himself. Neither is Bryson Albright, and neither is any other schmo that they think it can throw out there. I think that defensive pressure is going to be the thing that gets our defense. You know, That's what's going to make or break the game for us on that side of the ball. And then on offense, success against the outside cornerbacks, specifically in the deep passing game. That, now, now Everyone who's watched Tyrod Taylor play can, can agree that his deep passing game is the strength of what he brings to the field. He's very accurate on deep balls. And he doesn't utilize the middle of the field a lot, which, you know, this is a game where you want to try to avoid those guys. You want to avoid guys like Eric Weddle and C.J. Mosley. You don't want to throw near them. What you want to do is you want to work these subpar cornerbacks on the outside. I think that's going to be the biggest factor in this game. From an offensive standpoint, and us putting points on the board is going to be Tyrod's ability to win against those outside cornerbacks. If we can hit them with a healthy dose of Sammy Watkins early, they're going to be forced to bracket him. And I think they might, even without us having to throw him the ball, he's going to be shadowed by... I wouldn't be shocked to see Eric Weddle following Sammy Watkins around on the field in bracket coverage with a cornerback most of the time. But that's going to do us so, so. Basically, that's going to do us the favor of singling up guys like Marquise Goodwin and Robert Woods and Charles Clay. Like you're going to have these guys who cannot be double teamed, who you're going to be able to send out there and just. It's going to be on Tyrod to beat those matchups. You know, get them on the outside, shuffle them around with some motion offense, and and, and beat those guys because that's where you're going to get your yardage. You know, that's how you're going to back these guys off the line of scrimmage so that our running game can get going. What do you guys think? Anybody out there have an opinion on what they think is going to be the key to Buffalo winning this football game? Tweet at us at Rockpile Report. Now, Chris, we got to give up game predictions because obviously that's, you know, we're here, we're talking on the radio or podcast, if you will. What do you think the score of the game is going to be? How do you see this turning out? Uh, I actually have the Bills winning this football game. Score-wise, I'd probably go uh, 24-20 Buffalo. 
24-20. So you see the Ravens putting up 20 points on us. Correct. I'm going to go... I'm going to say, based on the fact that they're in... That their line is pretty good, even though they only have one premier pass rusher. And the fact that their secondary is kind of suspect, I'm going to call it a two-touchdown win by Buffalo. I'm going to call 24. In fact, no, we'll go 20, you know, we'll go 27. 27. 27-17 is what I'm going to see for a final score. I can see the Ravens moving the ball well early. Well, I thought you just said two touchdowns. I was like, I can see us getting another touchdown on top of what I was thinking. Hey, you're, you're talking to the guy. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking out loud. The fact is, I'm counting this in my head, and I'm seeing that we're going to get at least one field goal, if not two. That's going to happen. We're going to kick. We're going to kick field goals early because early, while they're still trying to feel out the defense, they're going to be conservative. As the game goes on, Greg Roman's going to open up the offense. And at the same time, our defense is going to try to figure them out. And I put my faith, if I look at what they're bringing on offense and I look at what we have on defense, I think that we have more horses than they do. And I think in the long run, we win that race. No, I, 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 have, I have Buffalo winning this game. I think they're going to have a good start. I think our schedule is a little bit favor, favorable to the start of the season. I got, I got them winning this game 24-20. to 20. 24 to 20. I'm calling 27 17. We're going to wait and see who's right, folks. If you guys have anything, anything you want to talk about, your own predictions, whether or not you agree with me on the state of our roster, if you have anything to say about Chantrell Henderson and his marijuana usage, let me know. I want to hear this stuff. Twitter. I talk about it. Get at me on Twitter at Rockpile Report. You can find us on Gmail, rockpilereport 716 at gmail.com. And finally, Beer watch. I'd just like to announce that my count is up to five. I'm Chris at four. Was, Chris was three beers ahead of me when we started recording. Now, how about a, we're counting beers throughout the season. I wrote on, on my whiteboard over here, I wrote 225 beers through week, the week 17, which would be January 4th is the week after the regular season ends. So 225 beers is my prediction, and that is $11.25 in bottle returns. <laughs> oh, high roller. <laughs> That's right. I'm looking at $11.25 in bottle returns come January 4th, 2017. Drew, give me a beer drop for our whole season. All right, so so what I think, what I think for the rest of the season, I firmly believe that I can do... It's not you can do, it's what we oh, can do. We're so, a team. So I think I can do... We're all in like the Bills. If I figure I can do probably about 11 a week. If you do a 12-pack a week, we're already at 200. That's why I'm saying. You, you might be in trouble here, my friend. If I can do eight a week, if I do eight a week, I'm personally drinking 150-something beers. Chris, I'm already five in, and I'm going to go fishing for my sixth. Nah. I think I can very easily get to eight a week. 
I'm gonna put our number somewhere around 267. And you know what? Just to make it a fun number, we're gonna go 269. Is going to be the number of beers Great. I, I think love, we can drink first. I love it. Shout out to Reed Ferguson, who wore number 69, <laughs> our friend, friend of the show, Reed Ferguson. In honor of Reed Ferguson, 269. 269 to my 225. Let me, hold on, let me do the math here. We'll pull out the old uh, the telephone, and we'll go to my we'll go to my, cal- my calculator, and you said 269 multiplied by... Five cents, about thirteen dollars and forty-five cents. Guys, what, and that—that that is two twelve packs of Blue Light Royale, which what we're drinking right now. Chris is going to be a rich man come the end of this season. Let me. I'm just going to go back into the podcast for our beer count. So, folks, I'm glad you all stopped by to listen to whoa. all this nonsense. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Missing a huge. Remember, when I was fishing in my desk for a sheet of paper. Oh, what yeah. I wrote down here: five hundred six sportscom if you guys have never been there, let's say you live in a state, you don't, you know, you get, you go to the Bills bar, you want to know if the game's on at home and your local affiliate. 506sports.com, they show a coverage map. The game for the Bills and the, and the Ravens, they are only, hit me av- with it. They're only available in the Buffalo area and the Baltimore area. So anywhere else in the country, you're going to have to go to your local Buffalo Bills backers bar Sunday, 1 o'clock, CBS, Spiro Ditas and Solomon Wilcott. Spiro Ditas. I'll tell you, I, I tweeted out earlier that I think that uh, Spiro Ditas and Solomon Wilcott are like a half-assed version of Miami Vice. If the show had been written by John Madden after a 12-pack. <laughs> I don't know. I know a lot of people don't care for Solomon Wilcott's uh, game analyst. Oh, and I, I can't forget. I cannot hey, forget but, but, you. But, but, you but last we have openers with Solomon Wilcott's. We have a winning record, so there's still hope. I cannot forget us starting this last year. And when I did this, 506sports.com, and I said the name, our game is being announced by Spiro Ditas. You were like, is that an actual person? <laughs> Who is Spiro Ditas? It didn't sound like a real name. It sounds like something that, I don't know, you might as well be named Calculon or something like, like I don't know, like Lex Luthor or <laughs> Hunter Hearst Helmsley. They all sound like more believable names than Spiro Ditas. <laughs> <laughs> Again, 506 Sports, if you want to look at a coverage map, uh, for people that don't have Sunday ticket in Buffalo, you're going to get Green Bay and Jacksonville. You're going to get the Giants and Cowboys, and then obviously Bills and Ravens are the three games you get locally here in Buffalo. Folks, it's been a lot of fun, but we got to go. I'm Drew Gear. that's Chris Krueger, and this has been the Rock Pile Report.